Welcome to the Small Business Wake-Up Call, the twice-weekly podcast that will open your eyes to the kinds of insights you can use to better run your business. Come have your morning Joe with hosts Lonnie Shambi and Stan Simpkins, who have the right recipes and ingredients to easily help you cook up a storm for even your toughest competitor. No lectures, no wasting your time telling you how smart they are, and no bullshit. The Small Business Wake-Up Call is going to make you think, laugh, and help you recognize how much money you've been leaving on the table with advice that'll help you improve your quality of life. Lonnie and Stan are small business veterans who will share their individual war stories and experiences, not only from their own businesses, but also from guiding hundreds of other small business owners in over 100 industries. Head on over to sbvirtualroundtables.com where you can connect with Lonnie and Stan and save yourself some headaches. Grab that second cup of joe, or maybe something a bit stronger, and let's see what's on the menu for today. Welcome to the Small Business Wake-Up Call. Here are your hosts, with cups in hand, Lonnie Shambi and Stan Simpkins. Hello, everyone. It's Stan. I'm delighted to share the mic with my friend Lonnie. Just wish he wasn't so cheap and could turn the heat up. Hey, Stan, (laughs) come on. Today, you're going to turn the heat up talking about... Family businesses that don't make it past the first generation. How can we avoid not turning the heat up with that one? Well, I'll tell you what. Imagine a three-legged stool, if you will, and one of those legs is called wealth. The other two are called power and leadership. Now, when we talk about succession, we're referring to leadership, regardless of who owns whatever percentage of the ownership of the company. Now, why is this very important to every person involved in the family business, Lonnie? Because two out of three, notice that, two out of three family businesses fail to make it past the second generation. And worse yet, six out of seven don't make it past the third generation. And remember, while there are about 31 or 32 million small businesses, nine out of 10 of them, nine out of 10, are family operated, meaning two or more family members working in the business. Think of the terrible toll that takes for an economy. It's like restarting, restarting, restarting. Even if their competitors pick up the slack, it has a significant social and economic impact on our society. And Stan, what are the issues here? Well, surveys show that 75% don't have a written succession plan, and only 54% have chosen a successor. And only 42%, I'm staggered here with these numbers, have written business plans or hold regular board meetings. And that's probably an overestimate. What are the reasons that stand in a way of this from going to a better scenario? For one thing, there are misconceptions that stand in the way. We've got a list of 10 of the most common misconceptions. And the reality response to each, we don't have time to include them all. If you'd like to get a copy of that, just drop us a line at info at sbvirtualroundtables.com and we'll send you the list. Stan's put this together over years. It's really solid. But here are our top five picks. Stanley? Oh, yeah. Number one, and if you're a potential retiree from your business, I'm sure you relate to this. It's called business succession planning is a code word for putting mom and dad out to pasture. And you might go, no, no. But when I mention retiring or exiting the business and you get a little knot in your stomach, You're that person, trust me. But the reality is transferring ownership doesn't mandate retirement. Not necessarily. If you've done proper planning, the phase out shouldn't necessarily be cut and run, 
but rather a phase in process over a period of time to permit knowledge transfer, power transfer, and hey, how about testing the readiness of your successors, let alone choosing them? Well, that said, Lonnie, it's important to be empathetic to the emotional mindset. I'm directing this to the potential successors in looking at mom or dad or whoever that might be and understand the practical concerns of the current leader. It's common for small business owners to tie their personal identity to the business. That means it's like if they lose their identity, they die. That's the feeling, that separation thing. Everyone's been down there. Even when I sold my CPA firm, and when I look at all the birthing pains I went through for that baby, it was hard to give it up even when they handed me the green. We're going to talk about selling your company, et cetera, in coming weeks. And the thing that I always tell owners, and it's the same thing here, is so much personal investment in a business that what I tell them is it's kind of like putting your children up for adoption when you're selling your business. Well, that's part of the th- reason that succession planning is put on the back burner. Who wants to plan for that? Nobody. Now, you're not suggesting there have been times when you have thought about that idea of putting the kids up for <laughs> well, adoption. That's another story. <laughs> Anyone that's with kids here knows what we're story. talking about. And yes. Lonnie, that's why it helps sometimes when feasible. It's got to be feasible to permit that parent or whoever it might be to continue participating in some fashion, even if merely advisory, called it emeritus. Pop's yes. got his little desk in the back there. and Well, but you see, this is point number two. Business succession planning creates more problems than it solves oftentimes. Stan, you've got a story about this, I know, because you told me about it. I had a client about 15 years ago where the father, who wasn't my client, brought his son into the business and literally left, for no understandable reason, I might add, less than a year later. And I wasn't there at the time, so I don't know what went on, but according to my client, who was the son, there was no explainable reason. And it was less than a year later, like I said. And father had never expressed anything in terms of his intentions to the son. So the result to the poor kid was after about two years of pulling his hair out and being totally devastated with 70 plus hour weeks and neglecting his young family. And he was third generation, I might owner. He called me in to help. I had met him, actually was a member of a business networking group I belonged to. And I'll spare you the details, but I'll tell you, I'm happy to say that with the coaching and helping to make some restructuring to his operation, and helping him learn to delegate and other things in terms of leadership. This company can now run without its current owner if it had to, based upon the management team that we helped to assemble and the operational change that we made. And frankly, he was one of the motivating forces for why I wrote the book that I wrote, Set Yourself Free, How to Have a Thriving Small Business and Enjoy It. Because a lot of people who are making a ton of money, but they're trapped by their business. They're like prisoners of the very thing they created to get freedom. In fact, that's a story, one of my reasons I had written in the book. He doesn't even know he was included in the book in an indirect way. (laughs) (laughs) My book's the same thing. It's, I write in parables, so it hides who the people really are. But here's one of the things that I've heard, not only in family business, but in any business. My business isn't worth enough to worry about. Reality is, valuation is the key to the future. I knew an owner who discovered his business was worth way more than he thought. Except a contractor who heard from other contractors that goodwill is not a big deal and their businesses sell for the value of their hard assets. What he didn't realize was he had a cadre of long-term customers, high profit margins, more than most in his industry, and a hell of a management team. Those things alone separated him 
from many of his competitors. The $20 million road contractor had grown from $2 million over a 20-year period. This is a contra-example to that. It's far more common that owners believe their business is worth a lot more than it is. It's kind of like I told Stan, we were talking about this this morning, and that is people get valuations done. I tell them, what would you like to do with that? Sleep with it under your pillow so you'll sleep better? Because the valuation is kind of worth what you pay for it. But you know what? Valuation's like beauty. It's in the eye of the beholder. It's in the guy who's writing the check. It's really important that whatever you do, you're not basing this on a valuation, but you're basing it on real numbers that you've looked at in the marketplace, et cetera, okay? And remember that your business is a majority of your portfolio. So inadequate financial, personal financial planning is sadly too common. As a CPA and someone who has done a lot of valuation work, I'll be the first to tell you that most times when people are doing valuation work, it's usually for estate planning or gift tax planning because oftentimes they want as low a valuation as they get to minimize your taxation. And the only way you're ever going to know is when you put it up for market. You get a broker or someone who's familiar with the industry and really go out to the market and see. As you said, Lonnie, it's in the eyes of the beholder. So we would tell you not to minimize the importance of getting evaluation because that objective eye is good, but don't look at that as gospel as this is what it's going to get you when you put it up for sale because that's a timing thing as much as it is a valuation technology thing. It's very subjective as well. That's important. So let's go on to our fourth one that owners have in their mind They kind of hold them up. I will be forced to treat one or some of my children unfairly. Oh boy. Anyone who owns a business and has kids working in the business knows how that is constantly on your mind. How am I going to not create a civil war here if the kids ever find out I'm treating them equally, <laughs> but not fairly? <laughs> I like that. There's a difference. (laughs) Okay. So the reality of it from a skilled, trained, professional standpoint is fair does not always mean equal. And this is a fairly common one. And it simplifies why many owners avoid the succession planning process. I can tell you right now, that's one of me. It's who wants to endure the pain. It it can be painful. And Lonnie and I, we try to keep these podcasts upbeat, but we told you there are going to be times when we're going to make you uncomfortable, not because we're sadistic, but because it's a reality check. And why is this important? Because it requires them to address the elephant in the room, namely that while all men and women are created equally on the U.S. Constitution, that's not the case when it comes with family members in the business. However, their common goal is to be fair to all, and it can still be achieved through proper planning. This is where it pays to sometimes have an objective third party to facilitate the process. And simply put, because not all children are built equally when it comes to participating in the business. And I talked about that in many other podcast examples. It requires some careful planning to navigate the issues to land in a place that seems fair to all. <clears throat> Example, one of my clients was a father-mother operation. It was actually in the construction industry with a daughter and a son combo, if you will. And when it came time to deal with the succession issue, it was quite apparent to all of us that the daughter was far more prepared to lead the company as CEO the son would probably be best suited to, at best, be a field manager. 
And the parents brought me in just because they wanted to be objective about it to facilitate the process. There was nothing bad going on. It wasn't a lot of fighting, but they had heard about it and they thought, let's add the cherry on the top to our process. And unfortunately for all, the kids were well aware of their differences. They knew who they were as people, to their credit, I might say. So it made the process much easier to deal with. And oh, except for when it came time to discuss compensation. Did I say that? <laughs> it was all good until they talked about the compensation. It's an issue, Lonnie, right? That's where fair really rears his head, doesn't it? Oh. Uh, <laughs> and that's frankly where the parents got a chance to dodge the bullet because, not because I'm Mr. Wonderful when it comes to consulting, but simply yeah, no, because no, I no. became the trusted advisor, the neutral <laughs> third party. And I had the objective information on my dad. I had trade industry statistics, compensation, jobs, and it supported my recommendations, which because they trusted, I had earned their trust, they were willing to accept the information I provided. And we set up a structured plan accordingly and did actually have some bonuses in there. Just why not give the owner employee a bonus too? But their payroll wasn't the same. But the parents, because they listened to me, were able to, because remember, it's their money to spend. And honestly, the only people that have to really be happy are the people giving it away in the end because it's theirs. And so they did it through gift planning and estate planning and grandkids, if you will. So I might have said in early podcast, there are ways to make things equal or equitable financially. And I want everyone to don't let this be the thing that holds you up from beginning the process. Oh, yeah. And then number five in this, my children will work it out. They know what my wishes are. The reality is the only way to get to know someone is to share an inheritance with them. That's a quote from Mark Twain. (laughs) Perhaps in a sick way, this is the one I love most. It's the ultimate expression of avoidance. When I hear parents say, my children will work it out, they know what my wishes are, I reply with, so imagine you're in heaven and the kids are battling it out because they don't care what your wishes were or simply don't know what you were thinking. How will you feel, especially since you're not in a position to do much about it, unless ghosts are real? We've passed Halloween, so it's no, no (laughs) ghosts. But even then, I don't think they could talk to you here on Earth. Let's face it, it's hard enough while you're here. Well, if you could get past the misconceptions, What are the obstacles that will impede this transfer of leadership? We've got a list of more than a dozen, and we're happy to share those with you as well, but time won't permit us to cover them all today. But Stan would love to, but it's one of those things that puts me to sleep, but that's another story. (laughs) So Stan has a handful that he wants to talk about, but we're going to just break for a moment to listen to this message. As a small business owner, you face many challenges. You're not alone. What can be even more stressful is not having someone to talk to who doesn't have their own agenda. What if you could talk in depth and confidentially to other small business owners like you on a periodic basis, folks facing the same challenges or who have solved the same problems? The Small Business Virtual Roundtables is the answer for you. Small Business Virtual Roundtables are held monthly for 90 minutes Membership in each roundtable is limited to 15 people, providing ample time for each member to have their issue addressed by their fellow members. These peer advisory groups are formed to avoid competitive concerns while taking into consideration company size and characteristics that closely match your own business. Need more attention? There is a complimentary 30-minute one-on-one session with the facilitators during the month to seek additional feedback. 
Monthly membership fees to the Small Business Virtual Roundtables are less than the cost of an hour with your attorney. And this is all done without ever leaving your office or home. Just the time savings of avoiding needless driving is worth the cost. New groups of the Small Business Virtual Roundtables are now being formed on a first-come, first-served basis. Ready to sign up? Head to sbvirtualroundtables.com to receive a complimentary invitation to attend up to three meetings. Again, that's sbvirtualroundtables.com. With Small Business Virtual Roundtables, there's no need to go it alone. And now, back to Lonnie and Stan. So let's take a look at a handful of the many obstacles you may face. The first being, and we kind of talked about this earlier with mindset and ego, if you will. So ego identification, what is that about? As I mentioned before, this is a biggie, yet many owners are not aware of it until they begin to struggle emotionally about their departure from the business. Sometimes it's so acute that you could benefit greatly from counseling. I've had clients that actually had to say, listen, we got to talk this through. I'm not a trained person like that. So, And I've brought friends in who were psychologists. But the people who often can help them the most, Lonnie, really are the family members and their trusted advisors. Again, that's where a properly facilitated process can be a valuable tool. A good example of this is a client who once blurted out, when I talked about this, I brought up, he said, well, then what am I going to do if I leave, basically? (laughs) Does that sound familiar? I've never seen this. Yeah, I mean, all I did was say, let's talk about succession planning. 93 and still coming in the office. Well, you'll never guess what my retort was. I go, (laughs) well, that's a fair question, John. And I have no answer for that other than, are you willing to allow me to help you discover the answer to that question? And he looked at me like a deer in the headlights being waved (laughs) on. (laughs) It was like he won the lotto or something. (laughs) I mean, he was relieved. I think he thought he was supposed to have an answer. I said, no, we don't have an answer. And the look in his face was just unbelievable. So for whatever reason, perhaps maybe an independent mindset, small business owners intuitively think they've got to have all the answers to all the questions. And when they recognize they don't, instead of seeking help, They let themselves live in hell alone, suffering in silence about this one issue. It's not just this instance. It's a lot of them. Reach out to trusted advisors. Reach out to people who have been through this. That's what they do as a specialty. So the second impediment is insufficient admission policy for family members. What's that say? I mean, it's hard enough to get along just being a family. Add the stresses of the business dealing with in-laws in the business or other non-sibling family members, cousins, etc., and you've got dynamite in your hands. And that's in addition to when family members view employee entry as a rite of passage, <laughs> coupled with a belief that a lifetime employment is because of blood. Boy, That's we're going to piss off some of case. our listeners here, Lonnie. <laughs> yes. These are family members who think they're successes who maybe <laughs> aren't going to be. It's things like it's why it's important that family members, especially the children, have to meet certain job experience, job status achievement, education, other screening things. They ought to be treated just like other employees. They might have an advantage here or there. But the best development plan requirement is that they enter the family business, but they've got to be someplace else first. Spend a period of time with another company. Otherwise, what you can expect is a business that's just 
inward focused. It's kind of like incestuous. I had a family business client that made all manner of doors, any kind of door you could think of, okay? And it had the father, mother, two brothers, two sister-in-laws among the related parties in various positions who one after another, once they got out of school and there was no requirement that they graduate college, let alone go to community college or whatever, they joined the business almost picking out where they wanted to be. Now, that's a recipe for chaos, no matter what, okay? Because almost always there's somebody who's there already in that job and they'll work on weekends or school and they'll end up pushing out a non-family member who is very capable. And it causes all sorts of conflict, not only within the business, with politics and the like, but it ends up at the bottom line. And in this one, it ended up that mom, one of the brothers and a cousin had to leave because they were either sowing the seeds of discontent or they were simply not good business people. The remaining family members were not crazy about me until after the first six months of operation when they realized that they'd actually grown both top and bottom line more than 25%. Coincidence? No, hardly. (laughs) Because basically what happens is when you throw family members together like this, it's like a drawer full of mismatched gloves. Well, (laughs) and sometimes you have to take one of the family members who's the bookkeeper and give that person a virtual job working at home. Yes. Just to avoid the drama (laughs) that they create when they're in person. Balancing the checkbook, yes. (laughs) Something to be said for virtual. (laughs) Yes. So that was number two. That leads us to number three, because I'm keeping track of the count here. Okay. Establishing a family. Yes. (laughs) I can count the three at least. So that's how we limit the number of our items as far as we can count, I think. This one is interesting. Establishing a family business council or other governance structure. How's that ring? Is that ring to you? (laughs) Oh my God, we just lost half the audience. Gag. When I mention this, the most small business- There's a lot of clicks going on out there. Don't feel bad if that was your reaction, because the typical reaction I get is, come on, we're not some big corporation, to which I say, that's exactly the point. You don't have to make a mountain out of a molehill on this. In the interest of time, let's just simply say that there is a practical way to do this without a bunch of fancy frills and complexity. And done properly, it serves the purpose of enhancing communications, making decisions a lot more objectively and professionally. And it takes the burden off the owners from having to make all the choices a big issue, if not decisions on their own. Let's talk about number four, and that's assembling the proper team, not just family members. This is another one common failing of family businesses. Some owners naturally figure that their attorney is for business and their outside accountants are all they need to handle the succession process. Now, that might be the case, but it's much more often not the case because their specialty skills may not take specific training to do it professionally. A real estate attorney ain't going to help you with a succession plan. An accountant who only does people's taxes, personal taxes, is not necessarily an accountant that's going to help you. So the team is not just about the family. It's about the professional advisors. I know how to use a knife. 
I'm not afraid of looking at blood. Well, unless it's my own. And I have passion for helping people. However, that doesn't make me a skilled surgeon. Any more than a family practice physician would hold themselves out as a skilled surgeon. So you want to make sure whoever is on your team has a demonstrated track record of doing the kind of work you need done. As well, sometimes these practitioners may indirectly be compromised for reasons such as fear of losing the client, process of dealing with sensitive issues, et cetera, legal conflicts of interest. For example, who's the client, the corporation, the owners, the kids, whomever, or whatever of those reasons they might not be the best choice for you. We know that everyone's got a trusted attorney and accountant, and they may well be suited, but you've got to ask them, who are you representing? Because if you're the attorney, quote, for the business, then what happens when you're representing, are you representing the successor or are you representing the founder, the exiting partner, if you will? That's an issue, and oftentimes that's not disclosed. You need to get that out on the table up front. So that leads us to number five, our last item in this list. And that's called lack of proper development. And this is a big Ilani. Yes. Proper development of potential successes along with challenges of identifying them and their best fit. That's a huge one from a practical, forget the emotional, just the practical standpoint, even if everyone's in the game, how do you pick who it's going to be? And does it happen naturally or is it kind of like a power play going on here? So I mentioned that in an earlier podcast, how just swapping roles between two brothers help to reduce conflict and improve their operations. But when it comes to identifying who will be the CEO and so forth, it isn't always obvious, nor can it always be done without serious conflict if it isn't in a collaborative decision-making process. And by the way, those two brothers I talked about, they ended up breaking the business into two divisions, and one was running one division, one was running the other. Lonnie? No, I'm- Oh. Go ahead, go ahead. You were looking to get excited out there. Maybe you want to say something there. I was Your hands were flying up in the air at all. <laughs> it reminded me of, of a situation where- just because this person was the dominant personality that they should be the leader. No, no. And the other thing is the training that you have should come from outside the business, not inside. Inside, it's incestuous. You're going to repeat the same process, good or bad, that your predecessors took on. What you've got to do is now look for more professional development. Sometimes a dominant personality is one who takes the lead, but not necessarily the best selection. Or it's one of the parents' favorites, the favorite kid. Uh, Mom loved you better. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, more. That's why it pays to start the planning process and testing. Believe it or not, testing, assessing, coaching, and mentoring. They're, huh? What have I been doing them all these years? The answer is not much. That's right. (laughs) It's like the oldest kid figures that it's just stands to reason that he's going to be the CEO at some point. No, no. A great indicator of that is if you've never seen it, go watch Succession. Talk about family business. Wow. There are more lessons in that business than that show that you could possibly imagine, (laughs) including the politics and of course they've got deep pockets. So the politics are serious. Let me tell you the divining rod or the clap meter who gets the most applause. Yes. My clap meter for applauses and the reality test of who's the white one is when you talk to the employees and you ask them their opinions 
and you get a "Are you kidding me?" kind of reaction. <laughs> what? He's you know you're in the, trouble. You know you're in trouble. Guy? What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and worse yet, Lonnie, what do you do if you determine that you really don't have a family member who's actually capable of it? Either a lack of a person, or the people you got just aren't the right material. And here's when you really need to be thinking of relying on trusted advisors because sometimes the best way to assure yourself of your retirement funds being around is picking the right person, not the wrong one. And then also understand that if you bring someone in from outside, you better do some background on the people who are not going to get that job lest you lose twice because it'll mean the guy coming in or the woman coming in it's going to have a really hard time of it. And the person who's leaving because he's unhappy because he didn't get the job, it's going to ripple along. So you've got to really manage this. That's interesting because I mentioned in the previous podcast an equipment dealer that I had. And after months of working with them, I encouraged the father, quite frankly, to sell the business rather than transfer it to his two sons. Well, guess what? The one son who ended up when they, because the father took my advice, by the way, but the one son who had a small division of the company he was running, and he was definitely not the CEO candidate. And we actually believed that the other son would kill the business because of his ego and, frankly, inability to get along with the brother. What happened is, to the credit of the one brother, he started a little mini business, if you will, and he's making a living. He's got a lifestyle business, like a job, more than a company, in a limited version. And how do they feel about me? Well, they thanked me. Because they never really liked working together, as I said, especially in their dad's line of sight pop over them all the time. That added some dynamic to it. And they're actually very happy to see that their dad has sufficient financial resources. Imagine how they felt they blew it up, and that was the father's retirement fund. They never realized how much they like working for themselves. The other kid is an energy broker, and he's killing it. He's an animal. He loves it, and it was built for him. Nothing better than that. When people find what they really like to do and sometimes they have to step out of the family setting to do it. Well, Stan, let's do a little bit of a conclusion. One way or another, your business is going to have to have a succession plan. It's far too important to leave in the hands of only the family members who will invariably act in their own best interest. You got to think about bringing in a firm that specializes in doing succession planning, who will work directly with your law firm and your accounting firm as well as with key family members. And you should consider having a succession plan in place that overrides the default business succession plan that other family members might want to impose on you or your family. And just keep in mind what Stan said about assembling the best support team to help you through the process. Keep in mind that estate planning is the transfer of assets, and while succession planning is the transfer of control and power. If all of the focus is on tax minimization, you may end up with a succession plan that isn't ideal because even minority holders can create a lot of havoc. Stan, why don't you recap? Where Thank you. Been. I was ready to do it. So today, Lonnie and I have taken you through a brief journey of what it takes to deal with the eventual exit of the current owners of a small business. And obviously, we only scratch the surface. But if we've inspired you to stop the music, and take the time to address the issues we discussed today with your family members and then perhaps outside of the business if it's appropriate. Then we delivered on our promise to give you at least one meaningful takeaway. We talk about the three-legged stool 
of succession planning, some of the most common misperceptions, common obstacles, and how to deal with them, the importance of assembling the right team, common mistakes in choosing successors, why it's sometimes appropriate to just sell the business. But equally important, we shared how bad the success rate is when it comes to moving the first generation past the second and the third, simply for lack of planning amongst the biggest reasons. So feel free to drop us an email at info at sbvirtualroundtables.com if you'd like more information on this topic. And as well, if you'd like to tap into the knowledge and experience of others like you, go to that website and request an invitation for one of our virtual roundtables. In fact, we'll have up to three complimentary visits as our guests so you can be confident it's a mutual fit. And we can promise you feel just like one of us, one of the family, sooner than you might expect. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to listen to previous podcasts you may have missed along with our future topics. Thanks for your time. Thanks, folks. See you next time. You've been listening to the Small Business Wake-Up Call, the podcast providing eye-opening insights and perhaps a caffeine high to better run your business. Delivered in Stan Simpkins and Lonnie Shambi's own unique style. Head on over to sbvirtualroundtables.com where you can connect with Lonnie and Stan, subscribe to the show, find more resources, and check out their monthly 90-minute virtual roundtables. Thanks for listening to the Small Business Wake-Up Call.